Hello and welcome into the Man Cave here in Big Riverville, Pennsylvania for another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman. I'll tell you one thing. It is, well, first off, it is Monday, May 20th at 6.29 p.m. And oh my goodness, do we have a lot to talk about. Man, oh man, was Indianapolis 500 qualifying just flat out insane. Both Saturday and Sunday, bump day. Uh, we'll be talking about Fernando Alonso, or as the Americans around here like to call him, Fred. Don't ask me why, it's just, you know, what people are calling him right now. And uh, we'll go Sunday reaction as well. You'll get my reactions from qualifying and bump day, which was absolutely insane. And we'll also go through some winners and losers from qualifying as well. And I'll also be uh, looking at practice times from today and kind of give you a preview of who to watch out for the rest of the week. Before I begin, I'd also like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. Go subscribe to them. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. And obviously it's No Copyright Music, so it's free. And I'd like to thank you guys for that. And also thanks for not stealing my money. <laughs> please again, please do not sue me. I'm giving you all the credit in the world. I love you guys to death, no copyright music. Thank you guys so much. And anyway, let's get right into Saturday qualifying where it was an absolutely just nerve-wracking six hours of qualifying on Saturday with only positions 10 through 30 being solidified. And then positions 31 through 36 were basically put through a last row shootout the following day. So a lot of pressure for those teams that were on the bubble. Obviously the big story going into qualifying was how McLaren and Fernando Alonso would fare speed-wise because they had had issues with a wreck earlier in the week that set them back and they just never had speed at all in practice and they were just kind of backmarkers in a way. And for Fernando Alonso on their initial run, a puncture in the right rear tire really messed up the balance of the car and Alonso found himself just fighting to keep the car off the wall. After a handful of attempts, Alonso would eventually fail to get into the top 30, so he would have to wait one more day to see if he could make it into the Indy 500. And then Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsports driver James Hinchcliffe had just a terrible crash on his initial run and he found himself and the team just scrambling to get their backup car back out onto the pit lane. However, I will say Schmidt Peterson Motorsports did an absolutely phenomenal job getting that backup car ready as it only took two hours to complete. And the thing is with IndyCar, they, with backup cars, they're not allowed to have engines in the car so they had to install a complete engine also, Hinchcliffe's car is a road course car as well, so they had to really fine-tune and they had to make sure that the car was as smooth as possible and as speedway-ready as possible. So the few times that Hinchcliffe was on track with the backup, it was more of a learning curve with the car, trying to figure out the balance and how to get it as comfortable as possible for Hinchcliffe. And obviously it didn't help that it was a road course car and he would eventually fail to advance into the top 30 by just two-tenths of a second. Uncos Racing's Kyle Kaiser, Dreyer and Reinbold Sage Karam, and two of Carlin's drivers, Pato Award and Max Chilton, would also join Hinchcliffe and Alonso in the final row shootout Sunday. Another note from Saturday qualifying, at Carpenter Racing, Spencer Piggott was fastest, with an average speed of 230.083 miles per hour, followed by Team Penske's Will Power, Simon Pagano, and Joseph Newgarden. Then moving on to Sunday qualifying, rain would cancel any Fast 9 shootout practice, and after a three-hour delay, the last row shootout would happen, and then 30 minutes of just pure chaos would ensue. With Kyle Kaiser the only driver left to qualify, Sage Karam and James Hinchcliffe were locked into the field, and McLaren's Fernando Alonso would be on the bubble. With the former Formula One world champion looking on, Kaiser would wheel his Uncos racing entry that he had crashed just a couple days before, actually Friday, 
ahead of Alonso, knocking him out of the Indy 500 by just two one-hundredths of a mile per hour. Man, oh man, <laughs> that had to just stain and just straight up suck for all of McLaren. And honestly, you felt every emotion for two days straight, both Saturday and Sunday, from the pure joy of smaller teams like Kloss and Marshall Racing with Pippa Mann and Dragon Speed with Ben Hanley to make the field of 33 to the utter disbelief and disappointment of not making it in like McLaren and Fernando Alonso. The pure joy and emotion in Kyle Kaiser's voice and all the team for Uncos Racing explained everything. Listen to this. Check your flag, check your flag. Thank you, thank you, thank you all, thank you. You guys are unbelievable, I can't believe what you guys have done. This is absolutely the greatest story of my life, thank you so, so much. Kaiser's a really young guy, and he's had immense success in Indy Lights, and he just wanted him to succeed, and he just hasn't had that success yet, and Uncos Racing being as, as small of a team as they are, to be able to knock out McLaren's Fernando Alonso, that's a huge deal, and that's definitely going to bring in a lot of attention media-wise. Hopefully it'll kick off Uncos Racing with maybe a full-time schedule next year, and Kyle Kaiser just getting more sponsorship and being able to compete with the big guys, because he obviously showed on Sunday that he can compete and knock out the Goliath in Fernando Alonso and McLaren. And looking back at the weekend overall, and just the week before that as well, nobody went through more adversity than Uncos Racing and Kyle Kaiser did. At the beginning of the week, their two main sponsors pulled their funding. Then a crash in practice on Friday left the team scrambling to build a car for qualifying less than 24 hours before it began. Uncos Racing miraculously scrapped together a car with help from other teams, and they managed to get the car ready before qualifying. After missing the top 30, they made a bold decision to not practice Sunday morning prior to the last row shootout. They wanted to fine-tune on the chassis and make sure it was as fresh as possible. Against all odds, Kaiser drove the cleanest four laps of his entire life and knocked off the Goliath and McLaren and Fernando Alonso. Personally, I was on edge for two days straight. There was so much unknown going into the shootout and every single corner on every single lap, I felt like I was borderline holding my breath. Knowing just how much Indy means to these teams and drivers, it was must-watch television and nothing could have topped it. It was so stressful just sitting on my couch at home knowing one little gust of wind could end a team's dream or even worse, result in a terrible crash. And obviously a prime example of that is James Hinchcliffe on Saturday. Just a small gust of wind, it upset the car and turned him around and almost knocked him out of the race for the second year in a row. I'll be honest, to put it plain and simple, Indianapolis 500 qualifying was just more intense and fun to watch than the entire NASCAR season. And for me, I was a huge NASCAR fan for years and years, since 2005. I was a big Tony Stewart fan, and NASCAR was my love and passion. As soon as Tony Stewart retired, I, I just kind of, you know, I felt like, oh, I'm going to be a Chase Elliott fan. And then just something didn't feel right about NASCAR as soon as Stewart left, as soon as he retired. And then I realized NASCAR's honestly turned into a bunch of gimmicks, like stage racing and all these rules packages, and just, it's just not fun anymore. NASCAR's trying to dummy down the racing, I feel like, in a way, and it's just kind of out of the driver's hands at this point. With IndyCar, you can't get much more pure racing than, than the NTT IndyCar series right now. 
And from a fan's perspective, I have to commend everyone at IndyCar for first off bringing back bump day last season, and secondly having the last row shootout the next day. Having the last row shootout the next day just brought so much more emotion, so much more tense, and just pure adrenaline, and you can't top that. It's extremely difficult to build up an event like the Indianapolis 500 qualifying did the last two days. And I know the last episode of Behind the Catch Fence, I gave both sides of the Fast 33 debate, but after this weekend, I don't want IndyCar to ever change this format. You want drama, unknown, must-see TV? The Indianapolis 500 qualifying format implemented right now is phenomenal the way it is. And you want to know how close IndyCar racing is right now? Positions 1 through 33 were only separated in qualifying by 2.62 miles per hour. That's absolutely insane. And you already know it's going to be a heck of a run on Sunday for the Indianapolis 500. And obviously now we'll move on to our winners and losers of the week. This has now become a weekly tradition, even though I've only done this for the second time. But hey, we'll get used to it. But anyway, winner number three from qualifying, James Davison with Dale Coyne Racing with Bird Hollinger Bellardi. First off, that's a name and a half, so I got to commend myself for that a little... A little background uh, golf clap, maybe? All right, come on. There you go. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Woo! Anyway, James Davison. Davison had a heck of a qualifying effort, I'll tell you that. The fact that Davison was able to qualify 15th in a one-off entry with not being in the car since last year at Indianapolis is absolutely nuts. And Davison, the thing that I commend James Davison the most for is back in 2017 in that Indianapolis 500 when uh, Sebastian Bourdais had that terrible crash and got injured and wasn't able to drive in the Indy 500, Davison stepped in in a road course car second off, and Davison was able to drive that thing from the rear of the field, dead from 33rd in the field, all the way up to the front and lead the Indianapolis 500 with a road course car. If anybody had the most balls in the Indianapolis 500 that year, it had to be James Davison. He, he absolutely just took that road course car, ran with it, and was able to go straight to the front. And honestly, I was at the Indianapolis 500 in 2017. I honestly felt like he was going to win the thing. If it wasn't for, obviously, caution flags falling the wrong way, and then getting shuffled back a little bit, and then eventually getting into a, into a crash with a couple laps remaining with Will Power and James Hinchcliffe, I feel like James Davison might have been that upset Indy 500 winner. Davison, he's going to surprise a lot of people on Sunday. And I feel like Davison might have a shot for a top five finish. And hey, who knows? We've seen crazier things happen at the Indianapolis 500. Just maybe James Davison might find himself drinking some 2% or whole milk. I mean, I don't know what his preference is, but hey. And then moving on, our winner number two, Marcus Erickson for Arrow Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. For Marcus Erickson, uh, with a Formula One background, obviously, he obviously doesn't have a lot of oval experience. And Erickson just went with it, and Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports has gave him a heck of a car. And to qualify 13th in the Indianapolis 500 for your first time really on an oval, especially at a place like Indianapolis, that's absolutely immense. Yeah, that's a big confidence booster for Marcus Erickson. I gotta tip my cap to him, because with obviously the Hinchcliffe drama with him crashing, and then Jack Harvey, even though he's a Meyer Shank Racing affiliate as well, with along with Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, and then Oriole Servia, qualifying 19th obviously Jack Harvey qualified 25th Erickson just went with it and he was able to charge that car up front and I don't I on I don't think Marcus Erickson is going to contend for a win but it's definitely a big confidence booster for him in the future and I feel like Erickson he could possibly make some noise top 15 I think I would consider it a win for Marcus Erickson if he's able to finish in the top 15 come Sunday and number one for my winner 
of the week in qualifying. Drum roll, please. Why am I still doing that? But anyway, I gotta go Ben Hanley with Dragon Speed. First off, Hanley, I'll admit I was wrong back in the first episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I said Ben Hanley was probably going to be that guy that gets bumped out of the Indy 500. I thought he was basically a lock. And and for good reason. Dragon Speed is their first ever Indianapolis 500. They've never attempted a race like this before. They have a sports car background out in Europe. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway is a completely different animal in itself. And Hanley, Hanley, he was able to wheel that thing to the absolute limit, and I believe it was a second or third qualifying effort, and he was able to bump the car up into the top 30 in 27th. Qualifying ahead of Andretti Autosports' Zach Veach and uh, Chip Ganassi Racing's Felix Rosenquist. That's another David Beats Goliath moment right there. I remember reading on Twitter afterwards that Ben Hanley retweeted and thought it was the greatest thing ever. This guy posts, How am I supposed to tell my grandkids about how Dragon Speed was better than McLaren at Indy? Yeah, that is a heck of a point right there. Who would have th- Nobody in the garage area, nobody in the paddock, nobody in the media ever thought that Ben Hanley from Dragon Speed would have taken down McLaren's Fernando Alonso. That's just wild in itself. That's an amazing accomplishment for Hanley and Dragon Speed. It's a great confidence booster. And they're going to bring in some sponsors this week. I'll tell you that. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a couple more sponsors on the car. And it makes McLaren's effort so crappy especially after guys like jordan kane with a one-off qualifying 26th obviously ben hanley 27th pippa man hats off to pippa man she was able to put last year's indy 500 failure to qualify in the rearview mirror and she was able to qualify 30th just enough with that new team in Kloss and marshall racing and the driven to save lives car that's just awesome to see and that's great to see her back in the indianapolis 500 because she's been a great role model for for younger female fans and and just female fans alike. It gives them somebody to root for, and it gives them that positive role model that, that Danica Patrick left with, and Pippa Man can continue that on and, and continue to inspire young racers alike. Moving on to our losers of qualifying. Nobody wants to be a loser, but I'm sorry. Number three, it has to be Chip Ganassi Racing overall. First off, Scott Dixon, five-time champion, third on the all-time wins list. How does Scott Dixon qualify 18th in the Indianapolis 500? That's baffling to me. When he went out on track, I'm like, oh yeah, he'll be easily top five, top three. But he never had speed, and he did, you know, obviously the time kept on dropping down each and every lap. I'm like, uh, why is Scott Dixon in the middle of the pack? I don't know if Chip Ganassi Racing just missed on their setup, or if they were straight up just, just kind of shooing qualifying away and focusing on their race trim car more than anything. But Scott Dixon, five-time champion, should not be qualifying 18th in the Indianapolis 500. And then second off, Felix Rosenquist, the rookie from Sweden. Rosenquist qualified 29th. Rosenquist was on the verge of getting bumped from the Indianapolis 500. I mean, the last thing I expect, I mean, I know Rosenquist, he's obviously a rookie, never really driven on an oval before. And his fellow Swedish competitor, Marcus Eriksson, qualified 13th. I mean, with Chip Ganassi Racing's resume at the Indianapolis 500, obviously Dario Franchitti, three-time winner. Scott Dixon's won at the Indy 500. He's notched a pole or two. I would have expected way more from Rosenquist, Dixon, and the entire Chip Ganassi racing team. I mean, I may be dead wrong. They might have just been safe just having mediocre qualifying runs and just focusing on the race trim setup. I mean, I don't know. I'm obviously not in the paddock right now, but that's loser number three right there, Chip Ganassi racing. All right, our next loser, I'm sorry, Ryan Hunter, you're our loser number two for Andretti Autosport. 
Hunter A, he's honestly been really quiet so far this month of May. Obviously, at the Grand Prix, he got turned around by Hinchcliffe in turn one. Hunter Ray, he hasn't really seemed like he's had the speed in the car during practices. And then qualifying 22nd, I expected way more out of the Andretti Autosport car right there. And then when you look at the qualifying results, Alexander Rossi starting 9th, Marco Andretti starting 10th, and then Connor Daly on the one-off ride with Andretti Autosport starting 11th. Obviously, Zach Veach is starting 28th, which isn't ideal for Andretti Autosport, but I expected a lot more from Ryan Hunter Ray. I would have thought he would have easily been competing for a top nine qualifying position, but he was never a factor, period. And I don't know if they're, obviously, if they were just kind of hit or miss on their qualifying setup and they just kind of focus more on their race setup, but only time will tell on Sunday. And then loser number one. There's only one guy you can put at number one for our top loser of the week in qualifying. Drum roll, please. Fernando Alonso, or as us Americans like to call him, Fred. Oh my gosh, I've talked about Fernando Alonso already so much, but it's an absolute embarrassment for McLaren and Fernando Alonso all around. And going into the month of May, nobody was talking about, what if Fernando Alonso misses the Indianapolis 500? It was, wow, what if Fernando Alonso completes the Triple Crown and wins the Indianapolis 500? And obviously the Triple Crown is winning the Indianapolis 500, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and winning at Monaco for Formula One. Nobody expected this to happen, and it shook mainstream media, it shook worldwide media. And for McLaren, it's a straight-up embarrassment. I can't say it enough how much of an embarrassment and how bad they should feel right now. It was such an embarrassment for McLaren that this morning, Bob Fernley, the, the head of McLaren's IndyCar program, he was let go. He's no longer with them. Heads are definitely rolling right now at McLaren. That's just an absolute embarrassment. And I feel like for Fernando Alonso, I'd be straight up pissed if I was Fernando. Or Fred, as we like to call him. For Fernando, he's a world-class driver. And the fact that McLaren straight up failed him in so many ways. It wasn't the driver, it was the team overall. And if I was Fernando Alonso, I'd be fed up with McLaren, period. Because McLaren has just been putting out such crappy equipment. And then the 2017 Indianapolis 500 was a completely different story. Obviously, in 2017, Fernando Alonso had all the help he absolutely could have asked for. Technical support, data, driver tips from like drivers like Alexander Rossi, Ryan Hunter-Ray, and Marco Andretti. He had it all, and it was, it was a simple transition. And he was able to just go out and run the car, and it was naturally fast. And he did a heck of a job in 2017, despite having issues later on during the race. He led laps in the Indy 500 that year. I feel like he had that thought of, all right, I'm going to come back. I'm going to just, you know, get in the McLaren cart, run up front, you know, easily be a contender to win and complete that triple crown. It was, it was the exact opposite. I fault Fernando Alonso for first off trusting McLaren in this entire process when they failed him so many times the last couple of years. And Fernando Alonso needs to cut ties with them as soon as possible if he wants to complete that triple crown. And lastly, before we end today's show, I'll just briefly go over practice eight results that happened earlier today on Monday, May 20th. Pole sitter Simon Pagino was first, followed by teammate Joseph Newgarden, and then Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports' James Hinchcliffe. Scott Dixon was fourth, Andretti Autosports' Alexander Rossi was fifth, followed by Charlie Kimball for Carlin Racing, Elio Castroneves in seventh, Will Power eighth, Felix Rosenquist ninth, and James Davis in tenth. And as I look at those practice results, obviously we, we figured Roger Penske's Drivers would be up front in race trim. Obviously, Pagano, Newgarden, top two. Castroneva, seventh. Wheel Power, eighth. Team Penske, they're obviously going to be a threat 
all four cars are going to be a threat by the end of this thing come Sunday. And a little bit of a surprise to me. I mean, I don't think I was surprised too much, but James Hinchcliffe finishing third in today's practice is awesome for the team. It's a great confidence booster, and it shows that they have the race speed to compete and possibly come from the back in 32nd to possibly change James Hinchcliffe's fortunes forever at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And as I'm looking at, obviously, Scott Dixon and Felix Rosenquist, both in the top 10 today in practice, I think that kind of validates my point that, you know, maybe they were just focusing on race trim, and obviously they are. Scott Dixon finishing fourth in practice, Felix Rosenquist ninth. There's obviously nothing wrong with Chip Ganassi racing. They'll be ready come Sunday, I'm sure of that. A little shout out to James Davison once again. Davison proving he can run in traffic. He can he has great race trim speed. And I wouldn't be surprised if Davison was competing for a top five and maybe even a win in the Indy 500 come Sunday. And with that, that's all we have on today's Behind the Catch Fence episode. Episode two. Hey, maybe when we're at 100, we'll give a we'll have a giveaway of maybe like t-shirt or sticker or something like that. That'd be pretty dang cool. But obviously, I don't have the money for that. I'm a broke college student. But on Friday, I'll, I'll give my Indy 500 predictions, who's going to do well, who's going to struggle. And I'll also be giving my prediction of who's going to cross that yard of bricks first and who's going to drink the milk. And I will also answer the question of this. What makes the Indianapolis 500 the greatest sporting event in the world? You guys don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys later.